The scripture today comes from Jeremiah chapter 31, verses 23 to 26. This is what the Lord Almighty, the God of Israel, says, When I bring them back from captivity, the people in the land of Judah and in its towns will once again use these words. The Lord bless you, you prosperous city, you sacred mountain. People will live together in Judah and all its towns, farmers and those who move about with their flocks. I will refresh the weary and satisfy the faint. At this I awoke and looked around. My sleep had been pleasant to me. The grass withers and the flowers fade, but the word of our God endures forever. Well, Happy New Year, everyone. We've finally made it to 2021. I have a suspicious feeling that we all want to keep 2020 behind us and never look back at it again. Uh, but I am hoping and praying that the suffering that we've all experienced from this past year uh, will not be wasted, but it will be redeemed. And one of the ways that we can redeem our suffering instead of waste it is by extracting all the wisdom and insight that can only be gained through the crucible of suffering. And one of the ways that we do that is by tucking that wisdom into our hearts so that it stays with us for a lifetime, lest we forget it. And so I'm hoping that as we kick off this new year, that we'll be richer in wisdom because of the past year that we just experienced. Additionally, at the top of every year, we do something called a uh, DNA series on our church. And our DNA consists of three things, our name, our mission, and our vision. And what we're going to do for the next three weeks is to devote one sermon to each of these three things. Uh, now, some of you have unfortunately heard this sermon series ad nauseum, uh, while others of you are hearing this sermon series for the very first time. Uh, but leaders are repeaters, and so I am going to repeat this again because uh, our name is pretty important and sort of, it really is the DNA of uh, our church. And so why the, why the name Exilic? Well, in the story of Alice in Wonderland, uh, during the course of her adventure, Alice comes to a fork in the road. And not knowing where to turn next, uh, Alice meets a cat named Cheshire. And so Alice asks Cheshire the cat which way she should turn, what path she should take. And Cheshire the cat responds by saying, well, that depends entirely on where you want to go. And Alice responds by saying, well, it doesn't really matter where I go. It doesn't matter where I end up. And Cheshire the cat responds by saying, then it doesn't really matter where you turn. And so my question to you this morning is this, where are you going? Where are you going with your life? Not, not just where are you going in terms of your vocational uh, aspirations or your future family aspirations. That's a little too penultimate. I'm talking about more ultimately, where, where are you going? Where is your life headed towards? Uh, from a purely secular materialistic perspective in a in a worldview without God, our final destination is death. Our final destination is six feet of dirt and worms that are laid upon us no longer to exist except for in the fading memories of a few people who themselves are also fading away. So that's what our final destination is. But from a Christian perspective, in a worldview with God in the picture, our final destination is not death. Our final destination is not six feet of dirt and worms, 
but our final destination is a new home, or what the Bible would refer to as a new heavens and a new earth. And therefore, the Christian journey can really be best summarized by the words of Gandalf, when Gandalf said, not all who wander are lost. Life is a journey, but just because we're wandering through life, it doesn't mean that we're wandering aimlessly through life. Rather, from a Christian perspective, we are wandering through life, but we are not lost. We are heading on a journey home. Nevertheless, it doesn't mean that this journey is very easy. Actually, this journey is filled with a lot of hardship and pain, as uh, we all know from the past year that we just experienced. And the verses that we just read are uh, from someone who theologians refer to as the weeping prophet. And they refer to this person as the weeping prophet because of all the pain and sorrow and anguish they carried in their hearts because of their people. And the prophet that I'm referring to is the prophet Jeremiah. And much like us today, Jeremiah and his people were experiencing a politically tumultuous time in their lives. Uh, they are about to be conquered by a foreign nation called Babylon. And then after they're conquered, uh, the Babylonians would basically burn down everything, including their place of worship, the temple. They're about to be kidnapped, exiled, and forced involuntarily to live in a home that is not their home, in a country that is not their country. And as a result of that, uh, they are tired, weary, and discouraged. And in many ways, this story is the opposite of the immigrant story. You know, in the immigrant story, people move to a new home, a new country voluntarily for a better life. But in this story, they don't move to a new country voluntarily, but they move to a new country involuntarily. And the tragic part about this is that they would live in this nation for the next 70 years of their lives. And so throughout the course of the 70 years, they were asking the same question that we are asking today. And the question was, when are things going to go back to normal? When are we going to go back home? Now, this is something that I uh, have a little bit of experience with, and I know many of you have because you've been displaced from your homes. And I know many of you are uh, living with maybe your parents because uh, you lost your job or because you need help with the kids. And for the past six months, I've lived with my in-laws as well. And I love my in-laws. Um, and they have always treated me like their very own son. Uh, but for the past six months, I've never quite fully felt at home because it's not really my home. And so in the morning, uh, the kitchen is like a zoo because everyone is in the kitchen trying to make coffee their own way. My mother-in-law likes to go to bed at 9 p.m. because she wakes up really early and she sleeps in the living room because my kids have invaded her bedroom and the living room is next to the kitchen. So after 9 p.m., the kitchen is closed for me and I can't um, do my uh, usual snacks. And so, and the floors are all wooden and creaky. And so I've always felt like I've had to tiptoe around the house. And as a result, I've never quite fully uh, felt at home. And uh, this is also what the American experience is like as well. Um, during, the, during the height of uh, uh, racial tension in our nation this past year, I was listening to an interview 
uh, with a MBA coach named Doc Rivers. And um, Doc was uh, lamenting about the plight of the black experience in America. And I'll never forget what he said. He said, you know, we love this country, but this country does not love us back. And in many ways, this is also the American experience where we, this is our home, but we've never quite fully felt at home. And to put it more in a spiritual context, uh, I like what G.K. Chesterton once said when he said, when I became a Christian, I finally understood why I was homesick at home. And this is what the, the Israelites were also experiencing. Babylon was their new home, but they felt homesick because they knew that it wasn't ultimately their home. And similarly, I would say, Metaphorically, we also live in Babylon today. This is not our home. We've been exiled east of Eden. And this is also why, even though this world is our home, we've not, never quite fully felt at home either. But what God wants his people to know through a dream that he gives to Jeremiah is that one day he has a plan to bring his people back home. How do we know that? Well, take a look with me at verse 23 and 25, and this is what it says. This is what the Lord Almighty, the God of Israel says. When I bring them back from captivity, I will refresh the weary and satisfy the faint. So the people of God will live in Babylon for the next 70 years of their lives. But what God is telling Jeremiah through this dream is that he has a plan to bring them back home after their exile is over. And similarly, what I would say is that we also live in Babylon. Anything east of Eden is really considered Babylon. And we also will live here on earth for the next 70, 80 years of our lives. But the promise that God has for the Israelites back then is the same promise that he has for us today. That is a plan to bring us back home. That from a Christian perspective, if life is a journey, we are not perpetual travelers that are always traveling and never arriving. Rather, we are tired and weary pilgrims that are traveling, but we are traveling to a final home and destination. And the reason why I say that is because I want to sort of contrast the biblical view of life as a journey with our modern secular view of life. Uh, what's interesting is that philosophers will tell us that uh, we are the first culture ever to promise us nothing after we die. Religion has always, proffer, uh, always offered uh, reincarnation, nirvana, paradise, or heaven. Religion has always promised some kind of afterlife or everlasting life or, or a true home. But modern secular culture is the first that promises you nothing after you die. The only thing that it promises you is your non-existence. And the reason why this is important is because what we believe about tomorrow shapes how we live today. I want you to uh, listen to the words of the uh, famous Russian novelist Leo Tolstoy. In his confession, he writes this, Today or tomorrow, sickness and death will come. They had already come to those I love or to me. Nothing will remain but stench and worms. Sooner or later, my affairs, whatever they may be, will be forgotten, and I shall not exist. Then why go on making any effort? How can man fail to see this? And how go on living? This is what is surprising. One can only live 
while one is intoxicated with life. As soon as one is sober, it is impossible to see that it is all a mere fraud and a stupid fraud. That is precisely what it is. There is nothing either amusing or witty about it. It is simply cruel and stupid. This is why for writers and thinkers like Tolstoy and Nietzsche, they constantly felt this heaviness on their hearts. They constantly felt this existential angst whenever they pondered the meaning of life and the, the journey of life that we're all on. And so what I want to do is contrast Tolstoy's demeanor specifically here with Jeremiah's demeanor. Because in verse 26, Jeremiah says, At this I awoke and looked around. My sleep had been pleasant to me. Now, how is it possible that Jeremiah wakes up from this dream with a sense of peace when this dream was kind of like a nightmare? Because in this dream, he finds out that his people are about to be exiled and forced involuntarily to live in a country for the next 70 years of their life. How is Jeremiah not dripping in sweat, filled with anxiety and stress? How instead does he wake up from this dream with a sense of peace? And I think the reason for that is because Jeremiah now has a hope. And that hope that God gives to him is that one day I have a plan and my plan is to bring them back home. They will not perpetually live in Babylon, but there is a home that is awaiting them. And similarly, what I would say is what we believe about tomorrow, again, it shapes how we live today. What we believe about tomorrow dictates how we feel today as well. I'll give you an example of this. Uh, Tim Keller uses this analogy where he says, imagine that there are two employees that are uh, assembling some kind of widget or gadget together. Uh, two different offices, same lighting, same temperature, same chair that they're sitting on, same desk, same equipment, same everything, except for the fact that one employee is promised $15,000 while the other employee is promised $15 million. And so one day uh, during lunch, they're at the cafeteria, uh, cafeteria eating their sandwiches and the person making $15,000 says, man, this job stinks. It's so boring. I feel like I'm wasting my life away. While the person making $15 million says, well, this isn't the worst job in the world. And to be honest with you, I'm grateful that we have a job during times like this. Now, here are two people doing the exact same thing with two entirely different experiences. How do you explain that? It's really because of their hopes. And so my question to you today is this, where does your hope ultimately lie in? I think for many of us, what we're really hoping and banking on is 2021 because of the difficulties that we've experienced from 2020. This past month alone, I had three dear friends reach out to me saying that they've lost loved ones in uh, their lives. And if you've ever lost a loved one, you know how difficult this experience is. I mean, how do you celebrate Christmas when you are preparing for a funeral? And so where does our hope ultimately lie in when we're experiencing tragedy and grief like this? Well, I don't know if it can just be in a year, like 2021. I think it has to be in something bigger. I mean, for all we know, 2021 can even be even, hopefully not, but it can be more difficult than 2020. There are no guarantees. But what we can guarantee and what we can bank our hope on is the fact that Jesus is still on the throne. He is still sovereign over all things and he still reigns over all things. 
And when I think about the story of Jesus and what the gospel is in particular, it is a story of someone that understood better than anyone else what it was like to feel homesick at home. Jesus was the ultimate exile from heaven to earth. But he wasn't only exiled from heaven to earth. He was exiled from inside the city to outside the city. And the reason why Jesus was exiled outside the walls of Jerusalem was to be killed. You know what's so interesting about the fact that Jesus is killed outside the city? In, in the first century world, uh, Jerusalem was considered a holy city. So any animal sacrifices, anything that was killed was always done outside the city walls. In fact, the people of God considered Jerusalem to be such a holy place that there was one group of people called the Essenes, and they would relieve themselves not inside the walls, but they would actually go all the way outside the walls to relieve themselves. And this kind of harkens back to the story of Exodus when the people of God are wandering through the wilderness for 40 years. And God tells them that this camp is a holy place because I dwell amongst you. So that's why it's holy. So if you want to relieve yourselves, do it outside the camp. So it wasn't just for hygienic purposes. It was really because for holy purposes. This is a holy place. And so the fact that the most holy person that has ever lived, the cleanest person that has ever lived, is not killed inside the city, but he is sacrificed outside the city like someone that is unclean has to point to something, doesn't it? And what it really points to is the gospel and the cross and what he has done for us. Jesus ultimately becomes unclean and impure by taking on all our sins. And instead, what we get is his life that is deposited into our account as if we had lived this righteous, pure, and holy life, even though we didn't. Jesus Christ was the one that ultimately experienced homelessness so that he would be our ticket, our passport, our courier back to our new home which is the new heavens and the new earth. And, you know, one of the things that my wife always says is, but why does Jesus forgive our sins? Why did he have to forgive our sins? She always says, you never talk about it enough. So let me talk about it a little, little bit. You know, heaven, the reason why heaven is heaven is because it's a place without evil. It's a place without sin. And therefore, it's a place without pain or suffering. That means that if we want to get into heaven, that we also need to be without sin. We have to be without evil in our lives lest we contaminate heaven. Only holy people are allowed to enter heaven because of what heaven is like. But the only way of becoming righteous and holy is through Jesus, who, who takes on all of our blemishes in our place so that we might be made new as a new creation. And that's why we can experience heaven. And that's why he is the ultimate door, the ultimate gate, the ultimate ticket for us to get there. There's a, a new movie that is about to come out in February, um, which has already won many prestigious awards. Um, but the movie is called No Man Lands. And this movie is, uh, what I appreciate about this movie is not that it's not just about this like 20 or, you know, 30-year-old trying to discover themselves. But Nomadland is about a 60-year-old who's lost their job, and they're trying to figure out the meaning of life and what this journey of life is 
all about. And it's the main character is this woman named Fern who's 60 years old and she's sort of uh, wandering through the Midwest and West like a nomad. And it turns out there, there's this huge nomad community that is out there. And she goes on this adventure and she's able to meet many of these pilgrims and sojourners. And she meets one person named Bob. And this is what Bob says. One of the things I love most about this life is that there's no final goodbye. I've met hundreds of people out here and they don't ever say a final goodbye. They'll just say, I'll see you down the road. And I do, I see them again. And I can be certain in my heart, I'll see you again. You know, I love this quote because what Bob is really talking about is the longings that we have in our hearts to see one another. Uh, there's a longing in our hearts to have eternal life, to have eternal community. Uh, this is why we say things like there are no final goodbyes or I know that this person is looking down on me. Why do we say things like that when it's totally inconsistent with a secular materialistic worldview? Because from a secular worldview, th there are only final goodbyes. There are no see you laters. But yet, yet we, we say things like, you know, we'll see you down the road or I know that this person is looking down on me because there's this longing in our hearts for an eternal, eternal life and eternal community with one another. Uh, I like what C.S. Lewis says when he says that, you know, when we experience hunger, there's such a thing as food that can satisfy the hunger. When we experience thirst, there's such a thing as water that can satisfy our thirst. When we experience sleepiness, there's such a thing as sleep that can satisfy our sleepiness. So when we experience this longing for eternal life, this longing for eternal home, this longing for eternal community, could it be really pointing to a thing or a place that can give us those things? And I think it does. And I think the ticket, the passport, the door, the gate to get there is by being in a relationship with Jesus. He is the one that gives us that hope and has a plan to bring us to a new heavens and a new earth as well. Close with one final quote that I really like from a Japanese theologian named Kosuke Koyama. And Koyama imagined um, people that uh, have just finished their journey of life. And it's the typical story where they're in front of the pearly gates and they've just finished a very long journey of life. Um, their feet are sore, their bags under their eyes, their clothes are torn and they are weary. And they stand in front of these pearly gates of heaven and, and, and Koyama imagines Jesus opening up these gates and saying to these tired pilgrims who have just finished their journey, he imagined Jesus saying to them, you've had a difficult journey, you must be tired and dirty. Let me wash your feet. The banquet is ready. And I know for many of us, we've had a very tiring and weary, wearying year this past year. But I also want these words of Jesus to echo into our hearts and into our minds as well. When he says that, I know you've had a difficult journey and I know that you're tired and weary but I have a plan to bring you back one day. The banquet is ready and prepared for you, but keep your eyes fixed on me until that day your race is completed.
Please pray with me.